Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. It is a good thing that you guys can't see me in the few seconds before the show starts when I have my theme music going. <laughs> I'm like I'm trying to be the whole orchestra all at once. It's a blast. All right. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show, folks. As always, <clears throat> I have a wide variety of different things to share with you this evening. Um Everything from NAFTA to North Korea to O'Leary to... Well, the list is as long as you want to make it. The numbers, of course, I certainly look for some participation uh, from all of you. Uh, you can do it in a number of ways. I like phone calls. I really like phone calls. It gives me a chance to let you have your say, unfiltered, unvarnished, uh, just plain old raw. Because we don't have a call screener. You just have me. And if I like what you're saying, you're going to get a chance to say a lot more of it. And if I don't like what you're saying, I'm going to challenge you on it. Anyway, the numbers are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. That's 343-700-4390 and 844-562-4766. Now, I'll try to give them out a little more often than I do. I get accused of, you never give out the phone number. You never give out the phone number. Well, folks... <laughs> okay, okay, guilty is charged. I don't give out the phone number enough. So, with that said, I've got a bunch of stuff for you tonight, but I want to start here. Um, I like starting off with um, things that I think a lot of people go uh, experience in life. And this, this kind of happened to me today. I was in, I was in uh, Tim Hortons, and I like the Tim Hortons breakfast biscuit. I do. It's, it's inexpensive. It's supposed to be good for you. That's what the rumor is anyway. Um, and I just like it. I go in there and I got a small double-double and a, and a uh, biscuit with sausage on it. And that's my breakfast. When I'm in, That's when I'm in town. When I'm at home, my wife makes sure that I you know, get the very best of the, her culinary skills and whatever they happen to be. She makes it. You know something? We have a, something she makes. We call it cowboy oatmeal. And my daughter brought the recipe back from out west. When she was out on the, a horse ranch out in B.C. for three years, uh, the owner of the ranch, a guy by the name of Larry, Larry Stewart, uh, taught her how to make what he calls cowboy oatmeal. And it's oatmeal, 
but in it you throw every every kind of fruit, nut, and everything else you can think. Of. There's cranberries in it. There's raisins in it. There's sesame seeds in it. There's pumpkin seeds in it. There's chopped up walnuts. In other words, whatever you have in the cupboard, right? And you throw that in there, and oh my, oh my, is it ever good? So when I'm not at home enjoying some of the culinary delights my wife lays lays before me at breakfast time. And sometimes it's not <laughs> sometimes she said, Not this morning, buddy, you're on your own, which makes me go, Oh boy. Because now I gotta eat my own cooking and that's not a pretty thing. Anyway, so I'm in the Tim Hortons this morning and I just you know me, I'm shy and I'm introverted and I don't talk to people and I uh, just try to keep to myself, right? Very private person. Um, well, if you know me, you know that's a complete and utter lie. I'll stay. I'll talk to a telephone post if I think it'll talk back. And sometimes I run into telephone posts dressed like human beings, and I kind of wish they would stop talking because it's anyway. But this guy was a pretty good guy. He was. Uh, he worked at, a, at a, a business just of you know. He was on his break and he'd come over to uh, grab a bite to eat uh, before he had to go back to work. So we're in there talking, and let me share with you what I've written here. It's on my Facebook page. And I really think this this there's there's something to this, and I've given this some thought on more than one occasion, and I kind of coalesced it a, a long mental process down into this. I had a conversation today with a total stranger while getting my morning coffee and breakfast biscuit. We talked about how fast people complain about the terrible working conditions at places like Walmart and how poorly they are treat they treat or at least that's how the allegations go, their employees. Well, but what both of us commented on was how those same people who complain about big box stores like, like Walmart never say a peep about the fast food restaurant employees or the people who pour your morning double-double and the conditions they work under. Do they really believe that there's a huge gulf between the benefits and compensation offered your local coffee pot jockey compared to your smiley-faced greeter? Or is it that we see value in the service provided by those behind the sandwich counter but don't want to pay for it, and we don't see that same value over in the big box store? I don't know for sure, but there is one thing I do know. Canadians can be a very fickle group. Never more fickle than when it comes to double standards about their double-double. Now, one of the things, the other things that we talked about during this conversation, and it sounds like it lasted all morning, but the whole thing took I don't know, five, ten minutes. It started out us standing in, in line waiting our turn like good Canadians do. We line up like sheep and we just wait for our double-double, man. You realize we'll stand in line longer, longer for a Tim Hortons coffee or, you know, we'll, we'll stand in line for our favorite breakfast at a fast food place. But we won't stand in line at the post office. I had a case about two or three years ago, maybe four years now, where a guy I knew in my hometown, uh, we were standing there in the in the post office lineup because the, the girl at the counter was serving a couple of people, and it was taking some time. No big deal. But the guy in front of me was a little impatient. And just as we got, and I'll never understand why he did this, got, just as it got to the point where he was next in line, he half turned to me and he said, I can't wait any longer, and he left. He was next. And within 10 seconds after he went out the door, guess who was next? Well, if he was in front of me, that makes me next. If he had 10 seconds more patience, he'd have got done what he wanted. But they won't. In other words, people won't wait in a line like that, but they'll wait for however long it takes to get their, their coffee and their, and their breakfast treat or breakfast uh, in a fast food restaurant. I don't understand it. Anyway, the other thing we talked about was how because – 
of doing things like raising the minimum wage. There's the traditional argument about killing jobs. Okay, the fact that the more you raise the minimum wage, the fewer people a company can employ. But don't forget something. And I didn't mean to get into minimum wage, but this is just a consequence, a natural consequence of this. You know, on one hand, we'll bitch and moan about one thing, but we won't complain about the very same thing in another setting. I don't understand that. But the other thing I don't understand is how people don't make the connection. If you were to raise minimum wage to $15, an employer only has so much money in his budget for wages, but he has the same amount of work to do. So if you are running a fast food restaurant or a grocery store or, uh, let's say, a home improvement store, okay, where the wages traditionally aren't very high, what is your alternative? Well, let me give you a hint. Have you noticed those automated checkout counters at grocery stores and hardware stores like the big ones? Home Depot, home, home Hardware, places like that. You go in there, and there's four or five machines set aside for you so you don't have to actually deal with a human being. And everybody goes, oh, well, I like talking to a human being. Well, you kind of priced them out of a job because you made it less expensive to have a machine do that job, a computer do that job, than a human being because you demanded the human beings get paid 15 bucks an hour. But how much does a computer get paid? Nothing. It never takes a sick day. It never needs holidays. It, it can, I shouldn't say it never takes a sick day if they ever get a virus or, you know, there's downtime. But by comparison, you can swap on out in the other one. You don't have to worry about scheduling. There's no, there's no payroll to deal with. Think of the headaches that get alleviated by automation. And you get mad at stores who do it, but you're the one that caught And when I say you, I'm talking about those who want to see a minimum wage of $15 an hour. And I'm going to get into this. There's another element to this I guess I'm kind of segueing into uh, what Kathleen Wynne wants to do with a basic income, regardless of whether you work or not. Okay? This is the kind of mentality that we're dealing with. People don't connect the dots. If you want somebody to get paid... $15 an hour for a $7 an hour job, you're putting the employer in such in a position where you make it economically attractive. And it's got nothing to do with whether nice people or not. That's not That doesn't even enter the equation. They are business people trying to stay in business in a climate that is ever more hostile to them. So I don't blame them for that. I blame people who don't connect the dots and don't say, wait a minute, what are we doing? When we, if we get a $7 an hour job and demand $15 an hour for it, that's $7 an hour more than what the job's worth that he's going to have to pay out. Or he takes that money in the short term, puts in an automated terminal, which pays for itself in no time because you don't have to pay it. No benefits, no eyewear, no drug and dental plan, no time off, no maternity leave, no scheduling, no headaches. If it blows up, if the computer goes inside, you open the back panel, pull out the part, put a new one in, and bang, you're up and running again. And then we wonder why there's not that many, why jobs are disappearing. Because we're forcing them out. It's the same thing a city council in, the, in, in any city. could be Ottawa, could be Toronto, it could be Hamilton, it could be Lethbridge. But if you start taking away parking spots because you're a greenie-type city council that doesn't understand car is king... 
and wants to encourage pedestrian and bike traffic, you're cutting your own throat. Because people will drive into your city from a long way away if they know there's a place to park when they get there. And they'll bring their tourist dollars with them. But they won't do it if there's no place to park. Because people say, let's go to Calgary. Catch a Flames game. Ah, there's no place to park downtown, though. It's a hassle. I don't want to take the bus because that's a pain in the neck. And whether you think it's a pain in the neck or not doesn't matter. It's the person who doesn't want to do it. It's their opinion that matters. So anyway, I'm getting off track a little bit. Kathleen Wynne has decided, and I guess this kind of leads into that conversation. Let me bring the story up if I can find it. Oh, Justin Trudeau. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, bone drudge note to here it is. Oh, yes. Three Ontario cities to test basic income pilot project. All right. There's a couple of problems with this. <clears throat> Number one, you have the problem. Uh, where did that go? I need no, no, hang on. There you are. You come here. Okay. And you can go over there. All right, see, this is what the support staff at a real radio station would do. They'd take care of all this for me. Anyway, um, now, so Kathleen Wynne has said, we're going to pay people 17000 If you're a single guy and you qualify, now, I don't know what the qualifications are. Okay, I don't know what they are. But we'll pay you $17,000 a year. Now, <laughs> I'm assuming that's tax-free, which means you're going to get. So let me grab my handy-dandy calculator computer type thing here. And take 17,000. No, 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 clear. 17,000 divided by 52 weeks. You're going to get paid 330 bucks a week to sit on your butt or travel around the world or do whatever. But the point is, you're not being productive. You are not going out and contributing to the people, helping the people contribute to help you pay that $17,000. What you're doing, here's what you're doing, okay? If you collect $17,000 through this program, what you're really doing, or Kathleen Wynn is doing on your behalf, is running up and down your street, knocking on your door, on the doors of your neighbors, asking them to fund your lifestyle. That's what you're doing. Now, there is in some people's mind, a conservative case to make for doing this. It's tenuous. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure I really buy it because I don't like the fact that people think they can get money for nothing. Okay, that sounds pretty Marxist to me. I don't like that. So, the, But the argument is, well, from a strictly economic point of view, if, and that's a huge if, we were to um, get rid of all the other social programs... Like no more, um, you know, welfare, no more uh, subsidies of any kind. Just scrap all of our, our, our social income supporting structure and give you $17,000 a year. 20, it's $24,000 for our couple. Okay. Now, granted, that's not a lot of money, but that's not the point. The point is you're being paid without creating any wealth. That's the point. Because if you don't create wealth, somebody else has to. So in effect, you're stealing from your neighbors. That's what this is all about. It's Marxism. It's socialism. 
it's you know you've got a dollar more than you do therefore you got to give me 50 cents because that would give us roughly the same amount of money if you have a dollar more than I do because then we both have a dollar 50 that's the kind of mentality there's no relationship between the effort it takes to make that money and who gets to control it so Kathleen Wynn wants to do this she wants to roll out this program she says the project will explore the effectiveness of providing a basic income to people who are currently living on low incomes, whether they are working or not. Every time they try this, it fails. I heard Brian Lilly saying this the other day. He said, the problem I have with this is people are going to get paid to stay home and sit on their butts. If you're, Imagine this. You're 20 years old, so you are, you're not working yet, so you're low income. Do you think they're going to do a ways and means test or do you think they're going to verify your address to make sure you're living on your own and trying to go out and earn a living and you really just need a hand up? No, they'll just dole out the money. You know really what this is. This is called a liberal vote-for-me program. That's what this is. This is a very, very callous and horrifying thing that she's doing because, first of all, it won't take place till after the election, but you got to vote for her to get it. Doesn't start. I don't think it starts. Oh, and they're doing it for First Nations too, which is, oh, just ducky, just ducky. Just seeing if the article. I can't remember if the article talked about when it was going to kick in. Uh, just scanning down here. Okay, here's another quote I like. What is the best way to help people manage or endure this uncertainty and give them opportunity to success over the long term? Is it our current system of social assistance, or is there a better way, Wynn said. For months, we've been doing background work to explore the idea of a basic income. It's, it's socialism by any other point. Now, they point to a case in Dauphin, Manitoba, where they say it actually worked. I'm sorry, in the long run, on a large scale, it fails every time it's tried. This is nothing but communism, folks. And whether it worked in Dauphin, Manitoba, and why it worked there, I don't know. But they never last. Everybody points to places like Norway and Sweden and Denmark and say, well, everybody there gets free education and wonderful social programs they don't have to pay for. Yeah, because it's all paid with oil revenues. And ever since the collapse of oil, uh, the oil prices, all of a sudden those oil revenues aren't there anymore. And it's not quite the rosy scene that you've been told. Ontario Pilot Project, let's see, couples, yeah, 16989 per year for a single guy, and couples receive up to 24, a little over 24000 uh, People with disabilities receive up to an additional 6000 per year. So if you're a single person who is disabled, you're going to get um, about $21,000. And if, let's say, you're, um, I don't know how to work with a couple. I suppose there's disabled couples out there. So they get an extra twelve, I would think. So, for an example, a single person earning ten grand a year from a part-time job would receive eleven nine eighty nine in basic income, sixteen ninety nine less fifteen percent of their earned income for a total of twenty one thousand nine. So they make twenty two thousand dollars. That's assuming they have a job, a part-time job. You see, it used to be if you had a part-time job and you weren't making this, you weren't making enough money. You know what you do? You go out and you get another part-time job. Was it easy? No. Was it something you want to do in the long term? No. But part-time jobs, especially on the low-income side of, side of things, are not meant to raise families on in the first place. 
They're meant for young people to actually go out and put something on their resume that shows they can hold a job. And in today's world, they're also being used by elderly people to supplement their retirement income, as tragic as that is. Ah, good cup of tea. All right, anyway. Uh, I'm just looking at when. No, it doesn't say when it kicks in. Wait a minute. The Liberal government first announced a pilot project in 2016 budget. Okay. Well, considering that it's going to, it's right around uh, a year, about a year to go to an election, there's no doubt in my mind that this is exactly the kind of thing that a callous, uh, oh my God, we got to get elected, so let's come up with anything, anything, anything we ha- we can do to get elected. And that, this is absolutely one of them. And I'm just, man, why don't they just leave? Wouldn't it be nice? Get the children out of the sandbox and let the adults run the show for once. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I have got an ad I want you to hear uh, from three different people all supporting the same position. It's kind of interesting, really. So you listen to this, and we'll be back with more right after this. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, thanks for staying with us, folks. 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. I did forget two things to tell you. Uh, one is the um, email address is nick at latenightcouncil.com. If you want to send me an email, I will certainly respond. So send it to uh, uh, nick at latenightcouncil. If there's anything you want to mention about the show or about um, if you want to contribute that way, we can certainly do that. I also want to let you know you can do the same thing on Facebook. If you want to send me a friendship request over at Facebook, I will make you a member of Nick's Knights and all that you get all the benefits and perks and so on that come with that position. And they are legion, I'll tell you. Boy, there's plenty of them. All right, before I play this next clip for you, let's take a phone call right here. Hang on now. There we go. You're there. Honest, you're there. 
Good evening. Welcome to the Night Show. Who am I talking to? Hello. Hello. Ah, there hey, you are. Nick. How are you? This is. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. Who am I talking to? Good. Good. My name's Rich. I speak with you plenty. Okay. Well, I'm certainly glad you speak to me at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, for... hey, you had a pretty bright mind on the other radio station, which I'm shocked they dropped you and kept you. They kept, but uh, yeah, well... you know, we used to cover a lot of political debates, and you know, I used to talk to you about Tesla and. And uh, things like that. But I had a couple of topics to talk to you about today. Did you um, did you hear Trump's budget? I mean, I don't really like bringing up Trump, but his budget today, he came out with all that stuff, and it was pretty impressive to see how he played it. He certainly discounted all the the, the wealthy 1%. Um, I didn't actually the other see thing I'm it. Pretty... I've heard about some of the tax cut reforms he wants to do, but I haven't seen the budget itself. Well, I haven't seen it in detail either, but I, I've been watching some news on it. It gave the breakdown on uh, what they're being. Ultimately, it's pretty impressive to see how the guy's working the budget to basically increase his balance sheet as well as the top 1% that he knows. Well, I and, have... um, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't have a problem with this whole 1%. percent If you have ever seen Ben Shapiro's explanation of what the 1% really is? First of all, it's not a static thing. It's a fluid thing. People move in and up and down and in and out of it all the time, depending on how their fortunes go. A lot of it's based on investment, yeah. and uh, those things change over time. So and it doesn't bother me. Look, one of the things I, I realize is that the 1% employ the other 99. So without them, we'd be quite a mess. I also know the 1% pay a ton of taxes. Uh, whether they get tax breaks or not, they still pay. Does the name he- Heidi Fry mean anything to you? No, actually, it doesn't. I do tell. She was called the Queen of Mean. She was a landlord, I believe, in New York City, a multimillionaire. And they went after her for, I think it was tax evasion or something like that, over about a million dollars in back taxes, I think is the story. I'm going by memory, going back about a decade. But, well, yeah, I was just going to say how far back. So a million yeah. bucks isn't much a decade back if you're that, you know, if you're at that well, level. But the, the thing they left out of the story, though, okay, is how much she did pay in taxes. Want to take a guess? Ah, yeah, over her total assets and whatnot. Yeah, well, her total and her check to the government. And everything. Her total yeah, check. Yeah, yeah. Her total check was $200 million. So for them to go yeah, after her for a million is like them going, you pay $200 in taxes and then coming after you for one. Yeah, no, I, I I understand that. It's that's a realist. That's that's fair. Yeah, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, so it's so just, it was I, the one million bucks that took her people, down. Sorry, it was the one million bucks that took her down. Yeah, exactly. Because people yeah, got all upset pay. about the million, but they never said, "Well, how much did she pay?" Because when you find that out, it puts everything yeah. in perspective. Yeah, there's a bigger picture there. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, that's interesting. The other thing that I find with um, that I've been following. Not that I, again, I don't want to go back to Trump. I just saw some interesting things about him today. Now, he's putting out a lot of these executive orders. Yep. And as far as I know, and I'm not a politician, but when you put out executive orders, it's basically you're implementing this without going through Congress, without going through certain levels of, um, you know, it doesn't go through a fair process. Well, it is certainly within his mandate to be able to do that. Right, but it's crazy that the guy's done 29 already, and he'll be in, in, 
you know, he'll be in politics now, which it's his first elected job publicly yeah. as a president. This is insane. Um, he's made 29 executive orders since he's been in. 19, uh, 19 were done by Obama over eight years, and 11 were done by Bush over his eight years. It just, it's just a real interesting political thing that's happening right now. Well, let me use an analogy, and I'm not defending it, okay? I'm just explaining that, first of all, there is a mechanism in their in their way of doing governance uh, that allows the president to use executive orders. And I'm going to take you at faith. I haven't looked at how much, how many who have done by, uh, how many have been done by what president in a How many were done so by I'll who? Word, yeah, yeah. I'll take your word for it, okay? Um, but with that said, uh, executive think of executive orders like a bucket of water and you're trying to put out a fire. So if, if uh, Obama, who I think is the worst president they've ever had in their entire history, basically sets the house really? on fire. Oh, without question, he was horrible. I mean, everything from Benghazi to the collapse of the southern border to uh, Obamacare, you name it, it was an unmitigated disaster. And I don't know the United States will, will fully recover from that. Anyway, that's my opinion. But the point is that if you have a house fire next door, if you have a barbecue fire, one or two buckets will do the job, right? But if you have a house fire, you might need yeah. a few more buckets than that. And I'm just well, saying, yeah, for sure. So I'm just saying, again, it's all a matter of context, context and perspective. And I don't know that it's a suitable analogy, and I don't know whether or not all 29 of them are completely justified. I'm not going to sit here and defend that. I am just saying, no, no, I based I on that. how I see the former, the last eight years. I mean, look at Benghazi by itself. You familiar with what Benghazi is when I say that? The whole thing is, uh, yeah, I, I have to agree. He, it's a bit of a mess. <laughs> a bit of a mess. The man should be in jail. Him and Hillary Clinton, Secretary yeah. of State at the time, sat on their hands and let his ambassador and two bodyguards get and killed. Let it go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah. So anyway, the point is there's plenty and there's plenty more than that. But anyway, so there's no point going over that. But when it comes to executive orders, it is the right of the president to use them. He will be answerable uh, over the long haul to Congress and to the people if if in four years people think, you know what, you've been uh, executive order crazy and we're done with you, they'll throw him out. Yeah, well, it seems like that will probably be the direction it's going to go as far as I see it. I mean, the way I see America going is it's kind of a race to the bottom. And ultimately, who owns America? I, I kind of think it's China. They've invested the most in them. There's there's a lot right in that. But just watching them all go south well, is um, yeah. finding, finding the fiscal. It, it's kind of crazy because, it, it you know, fiscal responsibility is taught from the top. And yet when you look at the top, how it's, you know... Uh, I, I'm gonna, I like watching you. I was going to say I'm I like watching ju- YouTube videos from okay. uh, Congress, you know, and there's a fair amount of them where they get into some of the uh, amounts of money that have kind of, and we're talking portfolios that are trillions of dollars, and how that kind of just goes by the wayside when you ask some of these people in front of Congress, like Ben Bernanke at the time, over billions and billions of dollars, and they just kind of. They're, they're re, they have rebuttals and they just put it out like, uh, well, it's in our it's it's on it's on our website, you know. Yeah, have yeah, you watched? Find where all the money went. Have you ever watched? Trey yeah, Gowdy? yeah, that guy's amazing. I, you know I, what? I, I, I have guy. watched Trey Gowdy. I think he's outstanding. I watched one recently about. Um, oh, geez, he, they were calling out how there was a uh, um, uh, 
Trey Gowdy was on the air explaining something uh, recently in regards to basically a big lie. And he, he, he went on to say, you know, I'm not surprised at this and I'm not surprised about that. And then he goes on to say at the end, I'm just amazed. I'm surprised that the American public bought it. You guys got them to buy it, you know? Yeah. It's impressive. But he there's not enough good. people like that. Well, see, the thing about Trey Gowdy is, first of all, he was a former uh, district attorney, which is our version of a crown prosecutor, or their version of a crown yeah, prosecutor. Yeah, so, I read about that. He's a smart, he's a smart, smart man, especially he certainly with, is. with But legality. he also infuses his questions with simple, basic common sense. Now, one of the things yeah. you said a little bit ago I want to get back to was this idea that fiscal responsibility is taught from the top down. I completely disagree with you on that. Fiscal responsibility is taught from the bottom up, and here's why. If you and I are uh, members of a township, we live in the same township, and we elect a town council, all right, and that town council gets involved in nepotism or, you know, there's some sh- maybe there's some shenanigans going on out at the dump where people are putting recycling money in their pocket or, you know, just something isn't right, and we know it. Some fraudulent activity. Yeah, some kind of nefarious activity. And we don't yeah. say anything about it. We don't throw them out. We don't haul them up and you know and hold their feet to the fire about it. We're teaching financial irresponsibility to people who are looking for, in many cases, advancement up the political ladder. So if it's okay well, in the township, sorry, at the top, you're almost if you're not looking into it, you're giving an admission to do it. Right. Exactly. So by the time they get right, to the top, right. it's the way business is done. And we've taught it to <laughs> them of, at the town township yeah. level. So that's what I, I mean. It's not taught from the top down. It's taught from the bottom up. It's like a tree doesn't rot from the ground up. From the from the, well, no, sometimes it, it does, but a lot of times the yeah. roots die and then the tree dies. And then the tree dies. Yeah. Right. Then it falls. No, it's, uh, but by then it's, it's an interesting point. I would, I would, uh, I would encourage you to also look at uh, Congressman Alan Grayson. I'm not sure if he's a congressman anymore, but he had some real good ones back in 2011 and a little previous to that when he was questioning people like Timothy Geithner and uh, Ben Bernanke and the uh, she was the senior executive lady overlooking uh, finance over the Fed. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and she didn't she couldn't give any answers. And then, and then this Congressman Alan Grayson, he's like, if you're not responsible for this, can you tell me who is? You I know, think I, I didn't mean, see that. It's, because that was just, she sat there little... with us, those deer in the headlights look. And there, there was another one yeah. that uh, Gowdy went after, said, I don't have that information. I don't have that information. I don't have that. In-. And he said, what information do you have? Do you have your driver's license? Do we know who you are? It's just like, it's, it's like, you can't just, I don't have my, that information. If you're the head of a department or in the top one or two in command of that department, then guess what? If you don't have it, you're not doing your job. Well, yeah. That's, I just love the way you know, I the just, part. yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's impressive to hear the way he goes on to, um, I, I just, there's not enough people like this. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, even from a couple of good documentaries, I, I remember hearing, you know, everybody's got a price and people like Trey Gowdy, people like Alan Grayson, they're, you know, they will not be bought, but at the same time, to a degree, everybody can be bought. So, I mean, I guess where I'm going with this is, some of these mega firms and companies, they, there's many people like Trey Gowdy out there where they flip on the dollar because the company wants them to go to them. Why would you want to work for public money when you can work for me for private money? Massive, massive money. Yeah, there's tr- that's true. There are some people that, that, that will do that. 
Uh, I don't think Mr. Gowdy's one of them, but I think that you're... I don't be, either. Because, and I'll tell you why. Because he understands that it's public service, not public service. And there's a big difference. Well, yeah, I, I, you're, you're right. The, uh, the public service is supposed to serve, right? Right. It's supposed to serve the public. But it seems to me, you know, and since I moved to, to this city, that, that feeling of, uh, you know, certainly in some of the buildings, the federal buildings that I go into, this feeling of uh, righteousness, a little bit of super superficialness. It's, oh, yeah. you know, it's a little over the top, you know, a yes. tradesman going by versus a guy in a suit that's a policymaker. You know, but I'm playing hockey with the same guys. Yep. And and the other funny story that I get is when I listen to some of these guys in hockey, who I'm just getting to know some of these fellows here at this new hockey I'm going to, and one of them happens to be a guy that um, he teaches people about certain safety in, I think it was the farming industry. So he's kind of a safety advisor to this, and he's trying to teach safety to policymakers and he's explaining how it is the most difficult thing because they look at him because, you know, you're a pay grade. You're, you don't have the title I, I have. You're a pay grade below me. I have a better idea. Wh- whatever reason that may be. But this guy, and he's talking to me, and we're having, this, we're, having, we're having a great chat over this. But I'm listening to him, and I'm like, I would not want that job to try and tell a policy advisor, you know, like, this is the safe way to do it. Yeah, it's like listen. you got to hang a sign on the door into the conference room that says, check your egos here. Because that's what it all Jack is. Jack here. Absolutely. And in this, you know, again, I love the city. Been here for six years. It's a great city, but that's right here. That's that superficialness yeah. that gets well, over the, city the, the top. Politics built. It's the city that politics built. I have to, I'm going to have to let you go because you got to take a break. But thank you very much for the call. Call again anytime. Uh, I, I always appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right, I am going to take a break because I need to go and refill my coffee cup. And so you listen to this when I come back. We'll have more on the Nick and Night Show. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and, and you'll be fine.
Now, Nick at Night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at LateNightCouncil.com. Or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him. And, of course, I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. The ads are, like, really, really cheap. I mean, you're going you're gonna to love them. Okay? You're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. All right, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Those are the numbers you can use to communicate with me on the phone, and I certainly do enjoy phone calls. I enjoyed the last one, so let's see if uh, you feel brave enough to pick up the phone and give me a shout. I know there's more than one of you out there, so by all means, uh, give me a shout, and we'll uh, discuss whatever's on your mind. I'll give you all the time you need to explain your position, and if I... uh, feel like you there's something you need to explain further i'll give you that chance too so uh the, those numbers again are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766 now um oh yeah nick at night at late night and you can also reach me at facebook now uh to do to do let's see uh where is it not that one. Oh yeah okay now i look I've got a, a clip here. It's two minutes and 52 seconds long, okay? I've cut about the first 10 seconds off because it's just it's extraneous in my mind. But every once in a while, Hollywood comes out, somebody from Hollywood, a major star, who for the most part I don't give any credibility to because usually they're left-wing loonies and they, you know, they ha- their feet haven't been in touch with the real ground for a very long time. But once in a while... You get one who gets it. You get one who understands and realizes there's more to the world than just the United States. Give this a listen. I think you'll be impressed. Hi, I'm Kevin Costner. And this is a message for all serving personnel in the British Armed Forces serving around the UK and around the world. It's an incredible selfish thing that you have chosen to do to be in the military, to volunteer when you could be pursuing so many other things with your young lives, but instead choosing to serve your beloved country. Your commitment to Britain, its citizens, and allies around the world is nothing short of noble. Thank you for your willingness to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves, to stand with each other. There can be no greater trust. There can be no greater bond than knowing your fellow soldier would stand in front of you, no matter the odds, no matter the danger. It's a club that you can't buy your way into, a membership that can't be faked or underestimated. You are a soldier, and the pride that comes from serving will only grow as you live your lives. In my career, I've been able to play characters that are smarter and braver than I could ever be. I've been able to play characters in the military who are heroic 
and have paid the ultimate sacrifice. But the truth is, I've never served, and I've never been tested as you. I've never made that same commitment you have. You are the real deal, the ones that will be called first in time of crisis. And it's important to me that you know that I know the difference between your lives and mine. As this world continues to seemingly spiral out of control, people are uncertain and they're afraid. The one constant that they can count on are the soldiers of this country who through training and discipline are willing to stand and put the safety and freedom of others above their own. You are the tip of the spear, prepared to go anywhere in the world at a moment's notice. You are the strongest your country has to offer and America's greatest ally. I want to thank you personally for my life, for my family's security, and for those you will never know. I'm really proud to have had the chance to address you and pray that you come home to those who have loved you the longest and those that have loved you the most. But while you're away, I also pray that you'll be covered by angels as you serve unflinchingly to protect freedom around the world. I can offer you nothing but respect. Now, doesn't that say it all? That's the last thing I expected out of Kevin Costner. And to hear his words so poignant and so well-delivered, I mean, he is an actor, let's give him that, but those were heartfelt words, and he meant it. And it's so rare in today's uh, Hollywood, in today's, in today's world, for people to really understand that their fortune in life is guarded by rough men who are willing to stand on guard in the darks of the night against evil men who would take it all away from us. That is the kind of thing I just can't speak. I, my respect for Kevin Costner just went through the roof. I mean, I know he's made some, well, every actor's made some hokey movies. But at the same time, when somebody like that who lives in that ivory tower shows you and demonstrates that they get it, they understand. Boy, that's remarkable. And I just had to play that for you. So that was Kevin Costner and his salute to British forces. And you know what? I feel the same way about our own troops. Without question. Because everything he said about them applies, uh, applies to Canada and then some. So I just thought, I, was, I figured I'd play that for you. That, that's worth listening to. I don't care what anybody says. Now, something else that's worth listening to. I've got three people here. It's only a minute 13 long. I think you need to hear this too. Because it's, it's uh, not nearly as poignant and not nearly as soul-stirring as the last one was. But it should raise some questions in your mind about what the heck the differences are. So this is Justin Trudeau, Patrick Brown, and Kathleen Wynne, all agreeing on something. Here it is. Make no mistake, the Liberal Party will be putting a price on carbon. Climate change is a fact. It is a threat. It is man-made. We have to do something about it. And that something includes... That something includes putting a price on carbon. 
carbon pricing, cap and trade, a market mechanism, or I believe it's misleading, but if you must, go ahead and call it a tax. We'll be putting a price on carbon. Putting a price on carbon. Go ahead and call it a tax. And there you go. That's the three, the big three. <clears throat> now, let me ask you something. We have this provincial um, election coming up. And I know this is just another way of saying the same thing. But please tell me, what is the difference between the PC party in Ontario, as we know it now, and the present governing liberals? That's the part I've never understood. Because from where I sit, there is no difference between them. Nothing of real substance. Yeah, the color of the flag is different. So what? What difference does it make? They call themselves a different name. Well, again, you, 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 look, back in the 1980s, there, <coughs> excuse me, back in the 1980s, the Ford Motor Company and Mercury Motors were under the same roof. And they put out a little sports car. You might have heard of the Ford version. That was called the Ford Mustang. Not exactly the Mustang's best era. Mercury decided to put out its car. It was called the Mercury Capri. Guess what it looked like? It was the same car. It came down the same assembly line. And every other car got a Mustang sticker, and the ones in between got the Capri sticker. That was the only difference. The part numbers were the same. The engines were the same. The interior trim was the same. The paint schemes were the same. The body styles were the same. It was the identical car under a different label. Well, that's politics in Ontario right now. You've got three major parties. Okay, you've got the NDP. You've got the PC Party of Ontario, and you've got the Liberals, and they all lean left. The part I don't get is why, why, why would anyone, if you seriously want to, to beat, if your goal is to put an end to the kind of nonsense that's being put out by Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals, or the progressives is a better word, do you realize the word liberal actually has been stolen by the left because there's something called the classic liberals. About a hundred years ago, liberal and Tory meant exactly the opposite things as, that they do now because I am a classic liberal. What is liberal short for or another version of liberty? You see, I believe in smaller government lower taxes. I believe in all kinds of things that are anathema or just not on with current liberals. So does it matter what they call themselves? What was Shakespeare's great line? A rose by any other name is still a rose? It's the same thing. So we have three left-wing parties in this, in, in this province, and now we have a situation where people are scratching their head going, okay, obviously I'm not any of those things. I don't like any of those parties. I don't like their policies. So what am I going to do? And I think that's a very legitimate question.
What are we going to do? So let me, what time is, oh, I got, I got a few minutes. I can do this. Let me ask you this. I've been kicking this idea around for a while now. Is it time? Would you support? And what do you think it should look like? A new, real conservative party. Not progressive conservative, but a social conservative party. Someone who believes in the same things that you and I do. A party that stands for all the things that built this country. Would you vote for it? What kind of policies would it have to have? Now, there's a lot of parties out there. There's, you, you want to have some fun. Just Google uh, provincial parties in Ontario or some version thereof, and the list is as long as your arm. There's hundreds of parties out there, but why don't they ever get any traction? How come, like, let's take the Family Heritage Party or the, the, um, the Family Party or the Christian, the Christian, is it the Christian Heritage Party or the Libertarians or other groups like that? They never really gain any traction. In many cases, not all, but in many cases, they are very much what people would call a fringe or one-issue party. And their appeal is limited to a very tiny group of uh, people that have a particular issue, and that's what they want dealt with, and it's the only thing they care about. Okay, that's fine. I'm not knocking that. I'm just trying to identify. If you take the um, uh, Christian Heritage Party, I remember doing an interview with one with somebody from that party one night. Or no, the family family um, family party, and um, it was during the time when I was on the air, and I would open my studio door during an election, and I would say, "Look, if you are a member, uh, if you're running for office, some anywhere within the sound of my voice." And you want to take a half an hour, come in and explain to the voters why they should consider you uh, in their riding to vote for. Because a lot of these smaller groups don't have the money to run campaigns. Or they have the money, but not, not the way the big boys do. Okay, They don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on advertising. Okay, It's just, in a lot of cases, it's just some guy who says, I've had enough. And joins a small party and goes out there and knocks on doors, shows up at debates, and hopes for the best on election night. And some of them are great candidates that just don't can't find a home. And others are, well, less than that. But I remember having an interview with one of them. And he was going through... Uh, he was going through his the list of reasons why people should vote for his party. And... I remember ask, when he was done, I, he, the one thing he hadn't covered yet, uh, I decided to move on from his core. And I said, okay, so what's your policy on energy? Because the Green Energy Act was big at the time and that kind of stuff. It was just the, fan, the, the defecation was just starting to hit the rotary oscillator, so it was a really hot topic. And uh, he stopped cold mid-sentence. And he looked at me, and it, I'll bet you for him it felt like half an hour went by. Because he didn't know what to say. And finally, he gave his head a shake and he said, well, uh, I don't know, but it'll be family friendly. So he went to a break and he looked at me and he said, I have no idea. I hadn't thought of that. I have, we, we don't have a policy on that. I said, you caught me completely. He said, you caught me completely by surprise. I said, look, in theory, at least you are a government in waiting. You have to have a policy on everything. 
Because what happens? What happens if what happened? How do I want to say what happens if what happens? Um, the NDP went through the same thing back in 1980. Bob Ray ran a campaign, never expecting to win. Guess what? The day after election, he will accept he's the premier. And we all know what happened after that. It got ugly fast because he didn't know what he was doing. He was not prepared to be premier. So in theory, at least, you have to be prepared to be the next government if you want people to take you seriously. So to get back to this, are you interested? Let me rephrase that. If there was a viable alternative, a socially conservative alternative, would you vote for it? Because the PCs don't want you. They've already told SOCONs and the landowners, forget it. We're going to throw 30% of our of our voting block away because we don't think we need them. We'll make that up in downtown Toronto without realizing how foolish and stupid that sounds. Why start 30 points in the hole? So if they don't want you, what would it take for you to vote for a new party? Would it be the right leader? What kind of policies? Who do you think the leader should be? What kind of policies should we entertain? Um, I'm just looking for input on this front, whether or not you'd be willing to do that. So I'm going to take a break at the top of the hour, so I'm going to take a break, play another commercial, and then um, we'll get back into this. But give me a call, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. You can message me on Facebook. I'll check that and see if there's anybody got any comments or questions on that. By all means, let's have this conversation. Because I don't know about you, but to quote a line from an old video game called Oblivion, I just don't see any good options here. So let's talk about making our own options. What would it take to get you to vote for a new conservative party in Ontario, one that isn't conservative in name only, one that wants nothing to do with progressivism, one someone that that um, uh, some somebody's a group that actually stands for the things that you believe in. That's what I want to hear from you. Three four three seven hundred forty three ninety. You listen to this, and we'll be back right right after this with more on the Nick at Night Show. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. 
but fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion. 34, Cleopatra. Tell him Council sent you. That'll make him smile. All right, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. That's 343-700-4390 or 844-562-4766. You can also send me a note to Nick at Night at, night at uh, <clears throat> LateNightCouncil.com. Speaking of which, I should open that up. I don't even have that open yet. And maybe somebody, Maybe there's a flood of emails in here. Who knows? Uh, do, 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 nope. Okay. So it's open. If you want to send me a note that way, I'll keep an eye on it. If you want to send me a note on Facebook, please feel free to do that too. Any way you can think of to communicate with me is just fine. All right. So I was talking before the break about <clears throat> this idea about put it floating a new party. Uh, there is still time to do it, but it would have to happen fast. There's no doubt about it. But I want to hear from you about what you think about, um, what kind of what the party should look like? Who could, if you could pick anybody, who would you want for its leader? What qualities in that leader do you want? And yes, Winston Churchill's still dead, and so is Ronald Reagan, so they're gone. You can't use them. But um, who would you pick of all the people that you know? Now there are some very strong personalities here locally that uh, certainly would be great candidates, but I don't know if they have enough appeal. On a provincial level, I've got a couple of people in mind. I won't name them because I don't want to put them on the spot. But um, I'm just curious, people with a high enough profile uh, and could be tempted to do something. Because let's face it, there's a lot. Kathleen Wynn's numbers, the last time I looked, were 11%. So if you lined up 100 people, you just picked randomly 100 people throughout the province, and asked them about Kathleen Wynne, only 11% like the job she's doing. That's 11 out of 100. That's her and her office staff. And they get paid for it. Maybe a little too well, I think. So I'm just curious. What do you think? What kind of, what kind of person would you want as leader? What kind of policies do you want to see built into that? Uh, what kind of planks do you want to see in, the, in it? Uh, let's see. We'll take this call right here. As soon as I can get it to work. Hang on, caller. There you go. Hello. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Who am I talking to? It's Mike Nick. Hi, Mike Nick. Yeah, Mike Nick. <laughs> I'm a Mike Nick. <laughs> so, um, what's on well, your mind? Before I, before I get into that discussion, I wanted to read something very quick. It's a few lines out of uh, Frederick Bastiat's The Law. I recommend it to people. Um, you can find the translation. I can even send you a link to the one I have online. It's totally free. Okay. Um, Frederick Bastiat's book, The Law. This is one of the 
Um, this is a book that Ronald Reagan was a humongous fan of. He had it in his personal library, and it was well noted. This guy studied this book. Okay. Anyways, uh, Sebastian writes, Unfortunately, law by no means confines itself to its proper functions. And when it has exceeded its proper functions, it is not done so merely in some inconsequential and debatable matters. The law has gone further than this. It has acted in direct opposition to its own purpose. The law has been used to destroy its own objective. It has been applied to annihilating the justice that it was supposed to maintain, to limiting and destroying rights, which its real purpose was to respect. The law has placed the collective force at the disposal of the unscrupulous, who wish without risk to exploit the person, liberty, and property of others. It has converted plunder into a right in order to protect plunder, and it has converted lawful defense into a crime in order to punish lawful defense. Tell me that doesn't describe us and Canada, and especially Ontario, in many ways. To a T. Like I said, this is a brilliant book. People should really check it out. It's not a long book, but I think it, it, it's one of the... I, I find he... He was in the 1850s, and he really grabs what the American concept of liberty was. And the reason we always say it's the American concept is because the truth is they're the only ones who've ever really implemented a system to truly balance power and prevent it from, in the attempt of preventing unscrupulous men from, from ever running wild over the, over the populace. So it, I think it's, you know, people like James Madison... He is probably one of the most authoritarian uh, authorities on controlling government. I mean, he really made a, a science out of understanding people, and he's the one who, in one of the Federalist Papers, wrote, uh, and to paraphrase, that men are not angels, and angels do not govern men. Hence the need for rules on government. As much as we need rules in a society, government itself must have rules. And I find that one thing about here is we don't have enough rules on our system. It's almost, it's almost a joke. One uh, provincial uh, election, uh, the party comes in and says, okay, we're going to make a law, you can't do this anymore. Then there's another election, the next party comes in, they rewrite all the laws to suit their new way. It, it's almost a joke. Do me a favor, send me the link to that book, and I, not only will I take time to go over it, I will also post that link on my Facebook page for anybody else who wants to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyways, about a pa- I, I definitely agree with you. I've been thinking this way for a while now. Um, I was done with the Progressive Party, and that's all I call them anymore. They're, that's what they are. Um, I, I was done with them. It's the same way I'm done with I, – I mean, I don't actually worry about, well, if you're down to the Liberals and the NDP, which one do you choose? I mean, I'm at that point jumping off a cliff. I'm not really caring who wins. <laughs> yeah, so there's no upside I, I just, to that. No, exactly. So I, I don't invest myself in worrying which one of them is going to win. And, and the fact that, that Brown is in there arguing for a carbon tax, he's literally plundering us. That's, that's what the other two are doing. There is no difference. So I do think it's time for something like a new party. One thing that I do think that this is another reason why I was pushing on the principles so hard, because even if you haven't thought out, someone throws a question at you, um, well, what would you do in this situation? Well, 
if you've got a good foundational set of principles, then you're going to think it through and you're going to get back with a, a reasonable response in line with those principles. I think, you know, too often we've compartmentalized everything so much that, well, we, we just sort of come up with these policies that we don't think through very well. So I, I think we need, to, we, need that, we need that foundation a little bit more. And another thing I think of, uh, you know, I don't think that we're going to be able to, if we go down that road, we have got to be prepared for the long, hard battle. And that's who conservatives are anyways. And I would, I'll include the, the, the libertarians that are of like mind as us. I'll include them in that discussion. So we're not afraid to get our hands dirty, and we're not afraid to do the hard thing. But we can't be thinking that we're just going to, we have to get this next election or the whole thing will never work. We've got to be in it for the long haul, not the short-term game. Well, I think that one of the challenges with uh, people who are, and I'll use in a broad sense, conservative, is they think that they'll dig in and they'll fight hard to win an election. There's no question of that, and they've done it in the past. But they think that when they win the election, it's all over, that they're, they can go back to the way things were and just live their lives and everything's taken care of. And that is the biggest mistake I think we make as a group because well, sure. the opponent, yeah. it's like winning, winning a battle in the middle of a war. Yeah, okay, you won the battle, but the war's not over. And then we all go home. No, exactly. And, and we're about, see, we, have to, we are about self-reliance and responsibility. We don't want... You know, when you were talking earlier about uh, the, the way they infringe on minimum wage, if you and I get together and I say, well, I need my lawn cut, and you say, well, I could cut that for you, I, you know, I'll drop by, i got a thing, I'll do it for you, I'll, okay, I'll give you 20 bucks. Well, how does, why, is, what, like, where does government get the authority or the right to interfere in that interaction between two people? Well, if that's... I haven't robbed you or you haven't murdered me, what the hell are they doing there? Well, I, again, you and I are on the same page on that. I think that is, uh, that is well, part of the reason why people use the underground economy. There's a, a segment of the population that thinks exactly like that. This is none of the government's business. And if I choose to pay some kid 20 bucks to mow my lawn, why should they tax? Why should they insist on the right to tax that? Just because a kid makes 20 bucks? That's ridiculous. Uh, if, if you get it. Yeah, and I mean, that's up to the kid to report the taxes, and you report what you do. But, I mean, we. They don't have a right to interfere with the interaction. I mean, not paying the taxes, that's another story. It's not like I am against taxes. We understand taxes serve a function. But we also understand at some point taxes become theft. Well, this is what I mean by that's I, what I'm driving at what, with, the, with the underground economy. The, the reason why people are doing this isn't just because they, they, they're trying to outsmart CRA, CRA. It's because they're trying to hang on to as much of their hard-earned cash as they can because so much of it disappears in taxes. Well, see, in a way, you know, it's, you, when you get into defining rights, that's where you get into trouble a little bit. That's why the Americans try to, to avoid defining rights. That's why they try to keep it nebul like somewhat vague because they just, they just didn't want to go there. But, I, you know, if you have a right of life, then you need to provide for that life. You have to work to provide for that life. You have to work or you don't eat, you don't live. So the idea that you don't have a right to work, that's what was, drove me nuts back when Tim Hudak ran from that, like a little girl from a spider. You know, he throws out a paper tiger, but he didn't actually really believe in right to work. He ran from it. 
how does how does anybody have the right to interfere in your earning a living for yourself, let alone an honest living? Yeah, look again. You and I are on the same page because uh, I think that uh, when it comes down, one of the, one of the great challenges of the conservative movement is to get people to understand that there are certain things the government has no business messing around in, and your right to earn a living uh, is one of them. You, they should not be able to tax you to the point where you have no no choice left but to seek nefarious ways to feed your family because that's just that that's pardon the phrase not right it's just that's not what government's for that's not that they've exceeded their mandate about what taxes are for cuz like you i think we all should pay some tax but 50 45 50% i don't think so no that's How about five obviously or 10? that's ridiculously too high of course it is and as a matter of fact i've heard you mention this before there's an actual name for it. It's called the Laffer Curve, and that Art Laffer, um, actually, he might even be in, I don't know if he's on the, in the Trump administration anywhere in the background, but he's one of those guys that's always in there somewhere. But he was Reagan's, uh, he was Reagan's guy, and he was the one that came up with what was called the Laffer Curve, and that if you taxed at zero, you would have no income. If you taxed at 100%, you would have, the government would have no, would have no income either. There's there is a there's sort of a sweet spot and where you know you you tax once you go past that sweet spot the more you raise taxes the more you drive down revenue yeah and and that's just a fact so well, and and I you know again it, the free market should be doing its own thing anyway taxes are there to support the necessities like police fire army courts basic stuff yeah. Not all this other thing of, of you know, social uh, safety nets. Well, how and, is it? And, and, you know, with social safety nets, again, you know, uh, you're taking in, I mean, just take one, look at the, we all have watched this insanity with the, with the reserves and the natives. We're collecting tens of thousands of dollars and they're getting hundreds of it. So well, where the heck did it all go? It would be easier for us to just hand them – we could give them half, half the money and hand it to them in one big check, and they'd be ten times ahead of where they are now, and we'd be double where we are where we are. Yeah. But well, that's what happens when you let government get their hands in this. Yeah, listen – So, my, like, I think – I was just going to say – Hello? I, I, yo, you're still there. I just – I couldn't um, – I couldn't agree with you more. There's there's so many better ways of, of doing things. There's an old saying that says, if it's in the yellow pages, the government has no business doing it. And I really think that's a, that should be uh, the, one of the uh, principles that any government operates on. If we can get the private sector to do it, then why the heck are we doing it? And, of course, and Let me just wrap up. Sorry, I was just going to wrap up the point because I never know where you are in break time, but – I just want to wrap the point which you started with, which what do we, what does a party look like? Well, we need somebody who understands these things. And, and I, you know, some of these people that get involved in politics, they're just the way it should be. You should just be interested and you want to get involved in it. The system shouldn't be so freaking complicated that you do need a rocket science degree to understand any of it because that's ridiculous. It It should be so simple that it, it, anybody could do it. But we've made the system complicated. So, we need people that educate themselves. We need people who can articulate these kinds of things because it's not a question of the dollars and all the rest of it anymore. Now you've got 
you know, social media and other things, you've got ways of buzz. I mean, how did that guy on the airplane suddenly become a thing, right? You, you, all these little phenomenons that happen on the, in, on the Internet. So you get somebody that's articulating serious uh, conservative policy and explaining it in a way that kind of reminds people the way Reagan did, the way other great leaders did. And, and once you start reminding people of how stuff actually works and you can point out how insane and how bad the other thing is working, then you remind yourself, too, that you know there's only three or four out of ten people even voting. Every time we start a new party talk, oh, you're going to split the vote. Split what vote? There's five or six out of ten not, not voting at all because they don't like those other parties. Yeah, I know. That's so, quite, I mean, that's... just imagine if you, if you tapped into that. Parties are winning with one and a half percent of the vote. I mean, or like 15 percent of the vote. You only need maybe 20 percent, and you smoke them. Let me just ask you this. We'll ask a question before we uh, end the conversation. Um, if Do you have anybody in mind, and I'm just curious what, where, your mind, where your mindset is. Um, can you think of anybody who's got, uh, let's say, a provincial level um, um, I don't want to say notoriety, uh, exposure, people, somebody that everybody in the province would know who would make a good leader for this particular group. I don't. I, I, honestly, I wish I could say something hopeful and say, oh, this person or that person. That's not to say that there aren't people out there. But I just don't hear, I don't hear those kinds of arguments coming out of them. You know, uh, when you listen to any politician in the States, like a Trey Gowdy or a uh, Mike Lee or, you know, pick like a Ted Cruz, you hear those guys talk policy. I mean, those guys, when they get confronted by a liberal, they'll sit there and talk with them. They're not going to throw a, a bunch of comments at them. Even these people are coming at them usually pretty angry. And they'll stop and they'll listen and they'll, they'll discuss with them and they'll get those people to at least soften a bit or see what they're talking about yeah. and to even appreciate what they're talking about. Yeah. You need people like that. So I'm, I'm, that's why I'm saying I don't think if we're going to go down this road, if we conservative libertarian types are going to go down this road, we got to know that we're going to have to build this. And we're, we're not going to get there overnight and we're not going to get there just tomorrow either. But we will get there. And if we're serious about it, don't worry about this election or next election. Just worry about doing the right thing and how to better make our case. And if we start doing that, we will start moving the ball. Because right. if five or six out of ten people are sitting out elections, those are people who are fed up with this. So you can tap into that. And once you do, that's why Reagan gets elected in a landslide. That's why it can be done. All right. Mike, I'm going to stop you there. Appreciate the call. Thanks. Okay, so that's Mike's opinion. What do you think? 343-700-4390. Have you got anybody in mind that would actually be a good leader for for whatever party it is? Just let's call it the party for now. <clears throat> and I, I'm just sitting here racking my brains. I've got a um, – there are a few on the federal side that I think might work. Uh, but you like you want somebody from Ontario. Is there anybody out there that you can think of with enough profile, which was the word I was looking for before, in Ontario to be able to lead a party who's eloquent, strong, isn't going to change their, their mind or position uh, once, you know, once the party platform gets rolled out, whatever that's going to look like, and you can have some feedback on that too. Um, let me know. 
The numbers are 343-700-4390. We'll take a break and we'll be back with more right after this on the Nick at Night Show. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Let's move on and change topics a little bit. There was the, uh, I won't call it the bombshell. It was a little surprising. Um, the fact that uh, Mr. O'Leary is no, no longer amongst the living in the leadership race. I, let me take that back because it sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds like I just said he was dead. No longer amongst the running in the leadership race um, for the federal conservative party. How do you think that changes things? Did you, cause to me, I never took him very seriously for a couple of reasons. For one thing, he only got in the part. He only got in, in January. And I think that I don't believe his story about why he bowed out in the first place. I think that like with every story, let me bring up the story here. Oh, you're so privileged. Yeah, I know. Let's see. Where did it go? I had it here. Anyway, the um, I'm trying to think of what his logic was. Let me go back here, and I'll pull up the story that way. Ah, geez. Some days it just don't pay to get out of bed. After, yeah. Come on, care, yeah. Do, 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 do. Here you come. Right. Uh, Oh, I got to read you this quote. I just love this quote. Uh, this is from Martin Link, Martin Luther King Jr. and he said, "In the end, we will not we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends." Isn't that true? Kevin Costner, Justin Trudeau. Ah, come on, I had it pulled up earlier. Anyway, he's bowed out of the race, and the reasons he gave, um, I didn't believe. And the reason I didn't believe him was because I don't think for a second that someone with an ego his size 
just w- said, oh, well, it, you know, I, I can't win this, so I'm not going to. And I'm going to throw my support behind Mr. Bernier, who had – and they had a real war of words. Remember when Bernier called him a loser and O'Leary accused him of voting fraud and a, a whole bunch of things went on. So I'm curious, how do you think – first of all, you can. there's not much point speculating about what his real reasons were because we'll never know. I just don't believe the ones that we're given because I've been around politics long enough now to know that when somebody says something like that publicly, there's a lot to the story you'll never hear that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, he'll come out and, you know, step up to the microphone and say the decent thing, but behind the scenes, there, you know, there could be blood on the floor. There could be all kinds of stuff going on that we'll just never know. But I think, I don't know that it changes things except for the fact that it does make Max Bernier look stronger. I really wish Trost was doing better. I because I like him. He's a real socon. Uh will he win? I don't know. He's pulling about f- 7 or 8% I think if I looked at remember the numbers right. So the chances of him winning are not very good. But when it comes to when it comes to who is likely to win, Max Bernier getting support from O'Leary uh, certainly does put Ole, uh, Bernier in the driver's seat. Now, I know there's a lot of angst out there about um, Max Bernier, and a lot of it has to do with his fa- the fact he's from Quebec. And a lot of people are saying, I don't want another leader from Quebec. Okay, I understand the sentiment. But, oh, I remember what his reason was. He didn't think he could beat Trudeau. That's right. Now... <laughs> What's funny about that is a guy with an ego his size publicly admits he doesn't think he can beat somebody like Pierre Trudeau or Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau. Really? That's the part that made me just go, I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. There was something else going on behind the scenes. And I don't know what it was, and I'm not going to speculate on it because I have no idea what it might have been. But I do know that Kevin O'Leary is not afraid of Justin Trudeau. Now, it was funny because I got—I should have kept it. I got an email. Maybe it's in my deleted file. I can pull it up. Look at that. Man, I'm telling you, there are days. I once in a while. No, no, delete it, delete it. Junk. If I can find it. No. Send start inbox. More. Eh, trash. Here it is. That's where I put most of my. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is from the, the uh, Liberal Party of Canada. Why they send me emails? I don't know, but sometimes it's really funny and worth the effort. I'm glad. Actually, I do know because I went to that thing in Eganville one night hosted by the Liberals, and uh, somehow they managed to wiggle my name and an email address. So they send me stuff, which in most of the time I just delete it. But this is um, why I'm kind of glad I've let them uh, have access to my inbox. Okay, from the liberal perspective, we have this. After months of negative attacks against Justin Trudeau, Kevin O'Leary has just announced he's dropping out of the conservative leadership race. He wouldn't commit to run for a seat in Parliament. Well, that part's true. Or even move back to Canada full-time. But Kevin O'Leary is is committing today that he'll do everything he can to defeat Justin Trudeau and our liberal movement. Okay. (laughs) Now, we... (laughs) (laughs) It continues, we can't let that happen. And there are 13 other conservative leadership candidates who will be working with O'Leary to roll back all of the positive progress we've been making together to support middle-class families. This, now what's funny, uh, is the next line. 
They couldn't be more out of touch with Canadians, and we need to be ready. <laughs> okay. One of those two groups is out of touch, but I don't think it's the Conservatives. Oh, man. This is priceless. Can you imagine them saying they couldn't be more out of touch with Canadians? I'm sorry, Mr. Liberal Party fundraiser. It's you guys that are out of touch. It's you guys that are the ones. Progress. You know, there's only one thing <clears throat> that this government has done, and i got to give them credit for it. Okay, I'm going to give them credit for it, and that's on trade. I've read a number of articles now and kind of watched uh, to see what was going to happen with uh, free trade and NAFTA. And now we got softwood lumber and dairy. And at first, oh, my God, the sky is falling. And now the latest is there may be some movement on the free trade deal. So it seems like the, the liberals are actually acting like adults when dealing with uh, Mr. Trump and his administration. Okay, so let's give them credit for that. But for the rest of it, it's an unmitigated disaster. This pot law, you're going to arrest a 12-year-old for having six grams of pot? Are you serious? Immigration, we don't even need to start on that file. Everything they touch turns to mud. And yet, roll back all the progress. So that's that's their take. What I'm curious about is what your take is. Five, No, 343-700-4390. Because I'm not sure. I, I think what this does is just kind of strengthens the hand of Maxine Bernier in the leadership race. Other than that, it's a little hard to tell at the moment what that's going to mean. It depends on what happens in the next week or so between now and Election Day uh, on the 27th of May, uh, what the O'Leary supporters choose to do. Because, you know, they could go anywhere. Uh, it's hard to say. A lot of people liked O'Leary because he was so outspoken and bold and, and you know, uh, coming, he had star, he had sec, he had political sex appeal. Uh, there were a lot of, he did bring a lot of pluses, but his negatives and really ruled him out for me. And that was when he said, well, I'm a liberal on social issues. Then you're not a conservative at all. You're just a liberal that's good with your checkbook. And that's why I never, I could never support Mr. O'Leary. But I'm curious what you think. How did that change things for you? All right. So while you consider that, I don't normally agree with uh, Thomas Mulcair. But you know what? He's got it this right. He's got it right this time. He says he's calling Justin Trudeau. Uh, on, he's calling him out for his hypocrisy on marijuana possession charges. Now, if you don't know the story, um, when Sasha Trudeau, Justin's uh, now late brother, who was killed in an avalanche, uh, when he was younger, got caught with um, drinking and driving, or no, I think it was got caught about um, uh, carrying some marijuana, and there was going to be criminal charges. Um, so his dad, who was then prime minister, Pierre, said, "Don't worry about it. We'll get a lawyer." And the way the um, um, it was handled was a case of, you know, having the money, resources, and contacts uh, do his position in life and the fact that his father was prime minister and how that was okay. And yet at the same time, he's writing a law that's going to have 12-year-olds in prison for having six, six grams of pot. So here's what, um, here's what Mr. Mulcair has to say about it. The NDP has repeatedly called for amnesty on charges for possessing small amounts of pot, but nothing's been done. Trudeau doesn't seem to care about Canadians who face charges, even though 
A plan is in place to revoke the prohibition, Mulcair said during a news conference. When you're of that background and you're privileged and you are always had everything given to you and, you're treat and are treated differently, that's what he's used to, isn't it? He doesn't find it at all abnormal that he can admit to smoking marijuana while he was a member of parliament and at the same time say the law is the law and you, sh you will be prosecuted if you smoke marijuana. Trudeau also shared a story during Monday during a Monday interview about an incident in which his late brother Michael, oh I'm sorry, it was not Sasha, it was Michael, faced marijuana possession charges. Trudeau said his father, former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, was able to bring the family's resources to bear on the problem, including turning to friends in the legal community to help make the charges go away. He also conceded that other Canadians, including marginalized people, are so treated are Marginalized people are treated unfairly in the legal system, despite the fact that Canada is supposed to be fair to everybody. A clear double standard, because if you get the money and you got the connections, then the law doesn't apply to you. Well, yeah, actually it does. But with a good lawyer, you can make it go away. And that's the hypocrisy that Mulcair is talking about, and he's absolutely right. You want to talk about out of touch? Mr. Trudeau has, not, has never eaten off anything that wasn't a silver spoon. He doesn't know the first thing about trying to balance a checkbook. He doesn't know the first thing about holding a real job. He's never had to he's never had a callus in his life unless it was from paddling a canoe while he was leader of Katimovic. I mean, it's just he's so uh, this is why I was laughing about the whole thing about how the conservatives are the ones out of touch. No, that's not the case at all. All right. Well, this this is the kind of stuff that I just grit my teeth at. So Mulcair actually got it right and he's right to be upset about this. Uh, one of the quotes in here that, that Mulcair gives is, once again it's a case of one set of rules for the Trudeaus and another for the rest of Canada. And that's that's brilliant. I mean it's exactly right. It's the kind of thing that just makes you kind of grit your teeth. Alright. Now I want to ask you about this particular story. It's I, my wife and I and our family, we watch a lot of Netflix. And one, we, we, in many cases, we do it as a family. And to, in today's Ottawa Citizen, there's a story about it. And we've always enjoyed it because, it, 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 although i got to tell you something, to find a good series without the smut is not easy. I mean, we've, we've watched some stuff like uh, Homeland. Okay, I loved Homeland. They could have left a lot of that crap out of it, but the story was so good that we put up with it. Now, the kids didn't watch it, but my wife and I did. So we watched that one. There was one out of, out of Sweden called Hollander. Hollander? Yeah, about a Swedish detective. And brilliantly written. Really, really good. None of that nonsense in it, but they're really hard to find. Another, there was a, a, another one uh, out of the... Um, Oh, what a Scandinavian countries. What was it? Hollander? Anyway, there was another detective show that we watched. There was one based in Scotland. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. And again, it was really well written, really well acted, and we really enjoyed it. So the whole point is that we've used this, this uh, watched these series on Netflix, um, and it's given us a chance to, you know, have something in common with our kids to talk about. Now, this this article in the Ottawa Citizen goes on to say that it's a great way to bond with your kids. As a very wise man's very wise man once rapped, 
parents just don't understand. But says Netflix, watching the same shows as their teens might help them do so a little better. The online streaming service released on tu- released Tuesday the results of a survey probing, probing the relationship between teenagers, parents, and youth-oriented program. Their findings, 82% of Canadian parents said they watch shows like Supernatural, Pretty Little Liars, and Strange Things to feel closer to their teens. And 74% of teens worldwide said they'd be into the idea of talking to their parents about the shows that they watch. Is this any different than when families used to sit around watching TV back in the 60s and the the 50s when TV was, you know, everything from the Andy Griffith show to uh, Gomer Pyle to... Um, Hogan's Heroes. Maybe it's not new. Maybe we just rediscovered it. So I'm just I'm 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 guessing here, but it just it seems to me that when you have something in common, it gives you more to talk about. And if you watch uh, some of these series, and s- like I said, this some of the best TV out there isn't on TV. It's these made for for cable shows or made for Netflix shows, and some of them are some of them are awful. No doubt about it. Some of them are just, like, no other way to say it. They stink. Um, there was, we watched a movie the other night about something going on in Afghanistan, and the movie really drifted around, had no point. And the end of it, you didn't really, there was no conclusion, no ending to it. It just, I, I can't even remember the name of it. But at the same time, there is some very, very good stuff out there. Uh, oh, another great series was White Collar. Brilliant movie, or series. Just loved it. Very little gunplay. There are some adult situations, but nothing graphic, nothing really grotesque. Not grotesque, but just, you know, just tasteless. Um, white collar. and Anyway, I'm babbling on. But the bottom line is I, there, I really think that, that we've rediscovered this because I don't know how different it was, it is now, compared to when families used to sit around after TV and watch whatever was on the tube. And that's how they and they would they would have that in common. The survey was done just before the success. Oh yeah, there. The reason they bring this article up is because there is a series out there called Thirteen Reasons Why, and in the Metro paper today, there's an article about that particular. Uh, just let me pull it up. I got the paper here in front of me, and I got to get my old man eyes on. But the um, in the Metro, the keep the the. Uh, Ottawa Catholic School Board wants to keep the series out of the classroom because it talks about a a young girl who commits suicide. And they talk about it in the series. And they say that, look, it's too shallow and it doesn't doesn't, uh, take into account all the different um, aspects of what happens when somebody goes through this very traumatic and difficult time. Um, Let me just share some of it with you. Uh, the Ottawa Catholic School Board has sent a letter to the teachers warning against using the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why as a tool in the classroom. Elizabeth Paquette, the board's chief psychologist, told CBC that the show, which centers on the mystery behind a teenage girl's suicide, could be upsetting and triggering to some students. Okay, well, for, when I first started reading it, I thought, okay, here we go, more snowflakes. Uh, but when you read further, I'm not so sure that's the case. Marty DeKemp, manager of the communications for the Ottawa Catholic School Board said that the letter was a resource on how to approach a subject in the classroom. We're always trying to provide our educators some context and some helpful strategies when there's anything out there in the public that might be a concern to our students. Ian Coleman, a professor at the University of Ottawa who researches suicide, said the show oversimplifies the issue. And he goes on to explain why. Uh, but the, 
the the point is there are some things about this that you have to keep in mind. And, you know, this is another reason why I think it's important that you keep an eye on and not just check the history on their com- on their computer when they're not around to see where what websites they've been visiting. It takes more diligence than that. But watching what your kids are watching, whether it be on um, on YouTube or whether it be on Netflix or other streaming sites or things like that, one of the ways to stay plugged into what's going on in your kid's life is to pay attention to the culture they're taking in. Now, i got to tell you, some of the stuff that they watch, like my kids love a show called, um, is it, uh, was it not Boston 99? Anyway, it's a cop show. It's a complete farce. It's a parody of cop shows. I get that. But I can't stand it because it's so insulting to your intelligence. And yet they think it's the funniest thing they've ever seen. I can't even stay in the room when it's on. It's that bad. But I at least know what they're watching. And when they're my kids, when they talk to each other, they'll drop lines out of these shows. And most of the time they go right over my head. I have no idea what they're talking about. None. And they'll giggle and they'll laugh because dad didn't get it. And occasionally I'll do it. And they'll go, oh, maybe he did see that one. But <clears throat> it's a, it is a really good way to keep an eye on what not only what your kids are watching, but how it's affecting their, their ability to think and reason, how they view the world. Uh, because if you – part of it – and I don't, I don't want to – I'm not trying to be a psychologist here, but just from my own experiences, it would seem to me that if you're plugged into what's going into your kid's head, then you have some idea, you know, what to watch for as far as trouble signs. Because how many times have we heard it when some young teenager, or anybody for that matter, takes their own life and everybody goes, it was such a surprise. We did not expect this. We didn't see this coming. You know what? I I get it. I understand that. But perhaps, and they say, well, we missed that warning flight. We missed that warning sign. Perhaps if as you know, as parents and as caregivers, we were paying more attention instead of doing with that one with that one show. I just can't stand it. Instead of just throwing up your arms, and say, "Oh man, this is just plain stupid," and walk out of the room. Okay, like they watch the Trailer Park Boys and what's that animated cartoon they watch? Um, the kids just love it. It's uh, I can't think of the name of it. Gravity Falls. That's it. Like I can't stand it, but. Uh, at least when they're not looking, I'll be watching it just to see what they're watching and what this the messages that are coming out of this show are teaching. And i got to admit that in many cases on those shows, they actually have decent points to make. And the kids get it. So staying plugged into what's going on in your kid's head will help you identify when they're in trouble. At least that's my perspective. What's yours? 343-700-4390. 844-562-4766. And I'll tell you this, as much as I think that TV or electronic entertainment of that kind is overall, I don't want to say it's a blight on mankind, it's not necessarily a good thing. It's neutral because it depends on how you use it, of course. But there's a lot of garbage out there. But having said that, there's also the fact is it's not going away. You know, it's like pining for the good old days. Yeah, you can do that, and God knows I do. But no matter how much you pine for it, you're not going to get them back. You can never go back to the 1950s, or in my case, to the 1870s. 
Okay, not going to happen. You have to live in the time you're given. And part of that is dealing with the culture that, that is present at that time. And the way to do it, at least in my mind, is pay attention to what's going on even if you don't like it. 343-700-4390. All right. Now, uh, let's see. So I just want to bring that to your attention to see if there was uh, uh, anything on this because I, I think there's there's a lot to learn out of that story, a lot to extrapolate out of it. And the percentage of teens who want to talk to their parents about this stuff is very high. Same thing with parents. Um, you know, what shows do you watch out, f- out for? Uh, what shows do you, you think are, are worth watching and just uh, why? So I'd love to hear from you guys on that. Uh, let's see. There was another. Um, okay, so come on. Oh, I know what's the matter. I moved my mouse pad. You wouldn't believe the little technical things I got to learn to do. Eh, well, that's what they pay me the big bucks for. Okay, now, with Trump uh, talking about NAFTA, it is no doubt that it's going to be going to have a impact on the Canadian economy. The only question is, how big? Well, I'm going to take a little break here because i got to go off and answer the call nature. And when I get back, we'll uh, get into that a little bit. I've got some figures here in front of me I'll share with you just for you to throw into the grist mill and see if you think that there's anything here, uh, you know, how, how you think it's going to impact the Canadian economy and, by extension, you. So listen to this, and we'll be back in a moment on the Nick at Night Show. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold, and, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at latenightcouncil.com or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at latenightcouncil.com 
the ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay, you're, you're, we've we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now back to Nick at Night. Right, three four three seven zero zero four three nine zero eight four four five six two four seven six six. You can also send me a note over to Nick at latenightcouncil dot com. Let me just go check the inbox, make sure that I'm not overlooking anything. Oh, look, YouTube loves me. There you go. Okay, uh, let's see. You can also send me a note over at um, uh, let's see uh, my Facebook page. To find it, just look for Nick Vandergrat. Voila, there I am, because I'm the only one. So it's, uh, I, I was in a Dutch grocery store today, and uh, I was talking to the uh, people behind the staff, and we were, got talking about Holland and, and the way you spell my name and that kind of stuff. And uh, it was an interesting conversation, because she actually knew how to pronounce it. She did a better job of it than I do, because she said it the way it's supposed to be said in Holland. And while I'm the only over 30 male in North America, other than my uncle who lives in a retirement home in, out in Saskatchewan, I'm the only guy in Canada that has my last name. Um, apparently, there's bucketfuls of them over, not only in Holland, but in South Africa. It's funny what you'll learn when you walk into these places. Now, so the late night, the late night cancel. Yeah, that too. Uh, where was I? Do, do, do. NAFTA, here we are. Okay, so NAFTA is a big deal. Uh, it's going to have an impact on your daily life. The question is, how big? Because Trump, uh, Trump announced today that he's pulling out of NAFTA, uh, or it certainly seems like he's going to. Now, let's hope that our present government is able to mitigate the damage. Um, there's movement on the softwood lumber file. There's movement on the dairy file. So things are, are not all dark and gloomy, but... When you think about NAFTA, Canada has done, as much as I know a lot of people hate NAFTA, I don't think they understand it because we've done really well under NAFTA. We are, uh, the Americans and us trade more. We're the biggest trading partners in the world. Let me put it to you that way. And in, uh, let's see, as of 2016, the top 10 Canadian exports in billions of dollars, uh, you you're not going to believe. Well, actually, if you think about it, it makes sense. Because this is, I would have picked this one right off the top, too. Passenger cars and light trucks, $61.6 billion in trade between the two countries. That's what we exported to the United States. $61.6 billion. And this is why I keep saying that car is king. Because it is. The next one up from that is crude oil. And that's only $51.5 billion. So over $10 billion more in passenger cars and light trucks. That's our economy, folks. Special transaction trade, $24.3 billion. Motor vehicle engine parts, $18.2 billion. Lumber and other sawmill uh, products, $13.1 billion. Food products, $10.5 billion. Natural gas, $8.7 Pharmaceutical and medicinal products, $8.5 
pulp and paper stock, 7.5, and basic and semi-finished aluminum products, 7.4. That rounds out the top 10 of the things that we export to the United States. Now, there's over 9 million jobs, depending on the export, uh, on the trans-border trans traffic in import-export in both countries, 9 million in the United States alone, that depend on this trade. And that's why I don't know that uh, uh, it's going to be nearly as bad for us as, as we've been told. Uh, let's see. There was one more thing I wanted to mention before we shut the show down for the night because it's getting – where are we? Yeah, we're getting there. What was it? There was that one, NAFTA. Do-do-do. Late night council. Yeah, late night council. Anyway, um, I was really hoping that over the course of the next week or so – Feel free at any time, if you're listening to this on podcast later, which a lot of people do, um, send me a note on what you think about this new party idea. Don't be afraid of it. It's certainly something I want to I want to hear from you about. Uh, I'm curious. You know, who do you think would be a good leader? What kind of things should be in the platform? Uh, because I think the time is ripe. The only question is, how do we go about it? You know, what's it going to look like? What would you call it? What would you call it? I don't know. If you want to have some fun, Google uh, pol- the names of political parties here in Ontario and tell me what you, how many you come up with. As a matter of fact, let me take a second and do that right here on my laptop. Ontario political parties. Man, I can't spell. Did you know there's two T's in Ontario? There isn't really but if you take it by the way I spelled it, okay. Uh, let's see. No, not in the legislative registered po- political parties in Ontario. Here we go. Let's click on that. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Okay. There he is. Let's see. I'll just read them off here. The Canadian Constituents Party, the Canadians' Choice Party, the Communist Party of Ontario. The Equal Parenting Party, the Freedom Party of Ontario, the Green Party of Ontario, the NDP, the None of the Above Party. Really? <laughs> There's a None of the Above Party. The Northern Ontario Party, uh, the Ontario Liberal Party, of course, we all know about them. The Libertarian Party, the Mod- Ontario Moderate Party. I thought that was... Anyway, never mind. Ontario Provincial Confederation of Regions Party. Can you... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not laughing at the party, but just the idea. That's the OPCRP party. Uh, no, the o- OPCR party. <laughs> Man, fit that on a ballot. Party for the people with special needs. Popper Party of Ontario. Does this give a link to their... Uh, let's see. Oh, look at that. When you click on, on it, it tells you who the leader is who the president is, what their address is, um, and their email. So if I click on the Progressive Conservative Party, it's Patrick Brown, President Rick Dystra. She gives the party headquarters, the toll-free number, and the website. Stop the New Sex Agenda Party. I knew about them. The People's Political Party. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kevin Clark is the leader. And he's got, yeah, there he is. He's got a... He's got a um, Website, the Trillium Party, and the Vegan Environment. Let's let's click on this. The Vegan Environmental Party. Let's Google that just for the fun of it. Oh, I can't. I'm out of time. Darn. 
Maybe next week. But just so there's, let's see. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Twenty registered parties in Ontario. So as you can see, if you're going to pick a name, you have to pick something that's going to stand out. You have to pick somebody to run it that people are going to recognize. Because let's take the Popper Party of Ontario. Have you ever heard of John Trammell before? Did you even know he existed? I mean, they don't even have, there's not even a web, website. I wonder what they mean. So it would be interesting to do a little research on these guys. Uh, anyway, so that, uh, I think, pretty much wraps it up for tonight, folks. Thank you all very much for participating. And if you're listening to this later on podcast, send me your thoughts on uh, on this idea of launching a new party. Now, I get, I get it. There's 20 already. But I'm talking about a real uh, solid, well-laid-out, uh, well-thought-out party that that uh, is there for people who have been disenfranchised by the mainstream parties. The uh, You know, whether you're socially conservative or a landowner or, uh, you know, a rural resident or a city resident or, or just somebody who feels like they don't have a home because their worldview has been tromped on, stomped on, and f- battered into the ground over and over again when you used to have a lot of influence and ins- uh, a lot of stake in the party, uh, whether it be the PCs or whatever party it is. So I'm just curious. I want to hear what your thoughts are. So send them along, and we'll uh, probably take it up again next weekend. All right, with that, I have to say good night. Ubiqueritas had amor. Deo CBS. Good evening, God bless, don't let anything disturb your peace, and may you have a fair wind in the following sea. Of all the money that e'er I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done, alas, it was to none. And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can't recall So fill to me the parting glass Good night and joy be to So fill to me the parting glass And drink a health whate'er befalls Then gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Of all the comrades that it I have they're sorry for my going away And all the sweethearts that e'er I had They'd wish me one more day to stay But since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and softly call Joy be to you all. Fail 
Let's see.